270,000. This is the number of two-year, four-year, and graduate degree-seeking students enrolled at the City University of New York. Another 200,000 are enrolled in adult and continuing education classes. For generations, CUNY has been an engine of economic mobility, and as New York City sits at the inflection point between the pandemic-driven recession and its recovery, CUNY can play a bigger role than ever. It can play this role by preparing students for the jobs of today and tomorrow, by upskilling workers so that they can keep up with the changing economy, and by partnering with the private sector to design targeted training and connect students to internships and career opportunities. In this episode of What's the Data Point, we listen to my recent conversation with CUNY Chancellor Felix Matos Rodriguez. Chancellor Matos Rodriguez, the first educator of color and first Latino to lead the nation's largest urban public university, discusses with me how COVID has affected CUNY and its students. He discusses his efforts partnering with the private sector both to create curricula and linkages for careers and to stabilize CUNY's finances, like his partnership with the Queensboro FC Soccer Club to build a stadium on the York College campus. And he discusses how recent federal, state, and city budget decisions and proposals can help stabilize CUNY in the future. We hope you enjoy this very important discussion. We'll be back soon for our next episode, which will review and include CBC's Controller Candidate Forum, which takes place May 4th and promises to be very, very exciting. So please keep sending us ideas on Twitter at, at TweetBenMax and at Andrew S. Ryan, and keep abreast of the latest news and fiscal analysis at GothamGazette.com and at, at CBCNY.org. Take care, New York. Uh, I'm delighted to be to be here, and and uh, I thought one one way to uh, uh, to to get going. I mean, you were talking about the the scale and the scope of uh, of our system, and and um, I think that that can be both uh, daunting to some, uh, but it's one of our incredible assets, particularly when you think about generating public policy at scale and public policy that has an impact on the life of many New Yorkers. We're 25 campuses. We are present in every uh, borough of the city of New York. Uh, 80% of our students stay in New York, right? So if you want to uh, hire or work with talent that knows the city, that understands the city, that is committed and will stay in the city, there's no better investment than uh, the talent pool that we have in uh, in our campuses. They reflect the diversity of our great uh, of our great uh, city. Uh, I mentioned to someone that in just one of our campuses, in the Borough of Manhattan Community College, we have uh, 1.5 as many um, minority students as the entire Ivy League combined. Right in just one of our campuses. So when people are talking about the need to diversify their industry, to diversify their 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 um, their their talent pool, uh, the City University of New York can clearly be part of that. Of that, you've mentioned the social mobility. It's part of our DNA. It's part of why we were created to create opportunity for New Yorkers that were. Um, had the promise, the talent, the drive, but they didn't have the the, the means to be able to afford uh, uh, an education uh, and great quality. Uh, 13 Nobel uh, Prizes from our faculty and students, 26 MacArthur Genius Awards. So uh, great, great, great talent and excellence there. Uh, and just one last factoid, which might be either a love-hate with this audience, but uh, 58 of the current uh, state, city, uh, uh, or federal elected officials are CUNY graduates, including the Attorney General, Tish James, the Speaker of the Assembly, Carhisti, Andrea uh, Stewart-Cousins, uh, uh, the Controller, um, the Public Advocate. So a great tradition of also uh, educating uh, our elected officials in, in, in the city and the state. Well, uh, I just have to say, um, anybody who dedicates their life to public service like yourself, but also the elected officials, I heard you on the love hate. They don't always do everything that CBC recommends, but we appreciate everyone who um, who dedicates their life um, to public service or spends some of their life in public service. And actually, people who've been in a variety of situations really um, enrich, you know, our our. our all of our, our gene pool and our leader leadership. So thank you very much. That's a great introduction. I will skip my opening why people should love CUNY um, because you gave us that in spades in, in, in many, many ways. So thank you so much. And 
But I will have to say, 7,500 um, seat stadium at York College for Queensbury, Queensboro uh, FC being built. I know that's not the topic of our conversation too, but any soccer stadium in New York City, wonderful thing. Um, now, do, do, do I understand correctly that you, you actually were a soccer official um, in, I, in earlier life? So, so my brother was a far ta- more talented player than I was. Uh, so those who don't ref, so I was a referee and uh, I paid, uh, you know, part of my, my work at, at college was refereeing uh, intramural games and in the leagues outside. So uh, big time soccer fan. And, uh, and actually the stadium that you referenced, Andrew, is actually one of the strategies that we've been pursuing of uh, advancing public-private partnerships to really maximize and leverage our phenomenal real estate assets, right? In the case of uh, of York, uh, it's going to be a great engine to continue to revitalize that Jamaica uh, community there, which is so vibrant and and um, and in such um, <clears throat> in such growth. And uh, so the the league gets uh, we get a stadium built to our specifications uh, by the Queensboro Football Club, uh, and and that we can use for other events. And uh, and we lease the 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 you know the the venue to them, so the college makes some uh, uh, money out of that. So very a very win win scenario uh, in which we advance economic development uh, as an anchor institution there in, in Jamaica. We provide entertainment opportunities for our students, and we maximize our real estate footprint, which is actually one of the plans that we have as a way to also uh, improve our balance sheet from our side too, from a fiscal side. Fantastic. Let's back up a quick second. I, I couldn't help, but I read that story this morning. Oh, I, 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 was, I, was there, I was there yesterday and I tell you, it was, uh, it, was, it was magical. I've been part of the conversations for a long time. And, uh, and it was also just good to be you know, out talking about recovery uh, at events and getting a little bit more sense of, 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 of normality and, and also what the recovery can look like. So let's step back a little, if we could talk a little about how COVID affected CUNY, the institution, and the students specifically, because, you know, they're obviously um, conjoined in that impact, but they're both, there's the instructional and organizational side, but the students are some of the hardest hit in New York. Could you speak a little to that? I mean, you you know, the the cause of COVID uh, first at a personal level all over the system was, you know, quite intense. We lost uh, faculty, we lost students. Uh, we lost colleagues, our vice chancellor for facilities that we had recruited, a brilliant alumni uh, from City College that used to be the administrator at, uh, at, uh, at Washington, uh, Alan Liu. We lost him to COVID. So a lot of personal personal loss that was, that was difficult, uh, but also institutionally, we really had to pivot uh, 50,000 courses uh, in less than a week and a half into some modality from in-person to distance learning. Uh, We know because of the students that we serve that many of our students had challenges in terms of either access to a device or access to broadband in their own homes. It's an issue that continues to affect uh, New York City and New York State. Um, And the challenge of students that, uh, student parents that all of a sudden had to be in home with their kids, helping to homeschool their kids and dealing with uh, maybe uh, family members who were sick. So it was it was a a, a difficult time, uh, but you know, New Yorkers, we show the resilience. At the end of that brutal semester in the spring, we graduated 56,000 students, the second largest graduating class in the history of the City University of New York. Uh, so it was it was challenging. Um, and, and you know, we were adapting every time to the to the health conditions. But um, you know, we we I feel that 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 uh, we did a a good job. Uh, we're still looking at, for example, some of the students that uh, did not transition well to the online modality, trying to bring them back and trying to support them uh, and 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 get them ready. And there's also a category of student, uh, Andrew, which is the ones that didn't come, which worried me, right? The ones that that normally would have come from that pipeline coming from the Department of Education in the city. Uh, and we're also being very proactive in trying to get those students back 
um, and, and try to keep their academic momentum going. So uh, a difficult time. We learn a lot. We hope that some of the things that we learned that were positive help us to become a better institution moving forward. Um, and, and now we just really, really focus on encouraging everybody to get the vaccine, uh, to get ready so that we can go back to uh, a much more normal and open situation in the fall. Import, important everywhere. Um, but I'm sure there's some lessons learned in terms of, you know, um, online education. Have you been thinking also prospectively how you might change both curricula, but also modality so that you can provide even more opportunity because now people have learned as, as challenging as it was, that they can do some of their work online. Is that a way to yeah. provide more education as well as maybe per perhaps be more economically efficient, both for well, students and on you? So, I mean, uh, dead on, and a couple of things, right? We, we at, at the time, we also went out and we got about 35,000 computers for our students, which we provided free of charge from them. Uh, we equipped about 4,000 students with Wi-Fi, trying to sort of meet that broadband challenge that I mentioned to you. Uh, but uh, faculty that had never taught online had the opportunity to do this for the first time. Students that have not faced uh, an online classroom had the chance to get a sense of that, what was like. So uh, we always felt that in terms of the mix of our online hybrid and in-person courses, that before the pandemic, we really needed to do more on the online in part to meet student demand where, where there is. There are students who learn better online, others do not. What we want to have is a menu so that you as a student can take advantage and take the courses in the way that better suits you as a learner, right? In addition to that, we have a lot of adult learners in our campus. We have students who are parents. Many of our students work. So the online or hybrid courses provide some added flexibility to the students. Um, so we hope that moving forward, uh, I mean, we want to bring some in-person, you know, back into the classroom because I think people are longing for that. Uh, when we come back into the fall, but we hope that our online and hybrid uh, footprint is far, far uh, uh, increased as a result of what we learned. We made a great investment. About 4,000 faculty uh, got professional development in uh, you know, teaching online. If we have had to do that over a more natural state of things, it would have taken us three, four years to do that much training. So right now, we have a lot more faculty, much more comfortable with teaching online, which means that they might either embrace it totally, go into a hybrid mode, or incorporate some of those things into their learning. So, and student services. We also learned to do a lot of student support services uh, online and maybe in a more efficient way. We were having a conversation about, uh, well, when we come back and uh, the bursar, I said, well, maybe nobody likes to be in a line at the bursars. Maybe that should be a thing of the past, right? So I think that it's really going to make us much more nimble on the student services side and uh, on the on the teaching modality, providing um, meeting the student where where they are in terms of how they learn and where they are in terms of their lives. Yeah, no, I think one of the things we've been working on a little here is the post-pandemic public sector and customer service, whether it be individual businesses or students. We have the opportunity. We've learned a lot. It would be a, 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 a it's a wonderful opportunity to learn and a shame to forget. Um, so absolutely I commend you on that. Let's turn a little, if you, if we could, to that CUNY as an opportunity uh, as an engine of opportunity for students, but also you know for the economy generally. We're in a period of recovery. You've been doing some work, as you said, with public private partnerships. Could you speak a little to what your role is and and how you are working with the private sector? to educate and train the next generation of employees and, and leaders in the city? So, you know, in some ways, um, a focus on teaching was something that I was interested in. So in some ways, going back to your point, people's interest in the pandemic, our, our students learning with the conversion to online has focused a conversation on pedagogy and teaching, which I think is going to help us down the line to, to, um, to, to be more comprehensive about that. Similarly, with our entire career engagement, uh, I always felt very proud of the record that CUNY has as an engine of social mobility. The Raj Shetty study and others shows that there's nobody in the country that does a better job than we do. And it's been because we're affordable, 
but we have great, uh, great teaching, right? Excellence in teaching. The one thing we have not been as good at is being um, consistent in the career engagements of our students. So I've felt that if we did a much better job there, that engine of social mobility would just increase um, at, a, at a faster rate. So it's something that I was very interested in. And the pandemic um, uh, and, and the other pandemics associated with them, the, the racial injustice pandemic, as a result of George Floyd, for example, brought a lot of employers that were looking to CUNY uh, for diverse talent, right? So it, it is not just the health pandemic that has been vital to us in the last couple of years in creating deeper ties with business community, but the other um, sort of circumstances that we've been facing. And uh, so for us, we've been out there. We're very proud of the partnership that um, with uh, the New York uh, CEO Jobs Council that was spearheaded by Jamie Dimon. Uh, and, you know, we already have uh, four associates uh, degrees that are being reconsidered based with the direct feedback from industry. So new curriculum, what are the needs? What are the areas where we're being employed? Uh, we've been working also with micro-credentials, trying to combine degrees with more nimble programs to be able to adapt better to the needs of the economy and give the students the tools that they need. Uh, for the students, for example, that were graduating at the end of the spring semester uh, in, in 2020, facing the worst labor market that anybody could face, uh, we did an upskill challenge uh, funding that we got from Bank of New York Mellon and other funders, and we provided free upskilling uh, tutorials for many of our students. About 100,000 of our students took advantage of that, partnerships with Google and IBM, so that the students could have access to short-term courses, credentials, that they could be in a better position to face the, um, the, the labor market. So, I mean, we have, in every sector of the economy, we have partnerships uh, with, with employers on the financial sector, with, with CenterBridge, with JP Morgan Chase. Uh, on the arts, we have the, the uh, Arts Corp, uh, funding from the Mellon Foundation and the Department of Cultural Affairs to put students into paid internships so they can be part of that vibrant sector of the economy here, which is the arts. Um, so we are really knocking on, on every door, rethinking the way that we do our career engagement and career services and how we can be uh, more nimble in meeting the needs of, uh, of, of employers. You know, one of the things that, that I'll say, and I, you know, we have a great audience here, um, that uh, a paid internship in CUNY uh, is is both economic development, you're putting money in the student's pocket, so you're dealing with the food insecurity issues, you're dealing with uh, the issues about housing and, and those things which you know are determined to the students, but you're also giving them a connection to the, to the labor force, you give them an experience. And we have data that shows that students that do a paid internship graduate at a faster rate. When they go to the job market, they get a job faster and their first time pay is higher. So one of the things that we're doubling down is at the end of my journey, I want to be the patron saint of paid internships because the return on investment is huge. And when you think about our price, if, if you have an intern at uh, CBC, Andrew, and you pay that intern two, $3,000 you know, for work over a semester, that's about almost one year of tuition in a community college. So think about the impact of, it's almost a scholarship, with the added benefit of the work experience. Well, that you've generated my next 12 questions, but I have to ask you specifically, <laughs> since you, you, you um, said this, and, and in fact, it, um, Judy submitted a question. How do people connect with CUNY? How do employers connect with CUNY? I just want to make sure that no one listening here leaves saying, that's a great idea. I don't know what to do, and then moves on. What do they do? So let me make it easy. Chancellor at CUNY.edu. So anybody that wants to connect, Send me an email and I will connect you with our, our career and workforce team in the central office. So you have two entry points uh, for some employers that have the scale and the interest and are citywide. It's easier to deal with the central office. 
in terms of the opportunities. If you are based in a borough and you have a more sort of, you know, specific, uh, you can connect directly with the campus there with the career services office. But uh, if you reach out to us at the central office, we will connect you with either a campus, if it's something that makes sense to you, or some of the programs that we have that are industry-wide. And Andrew, the other thing is we are actually in the process of rethinking about maybe creating uh, a much more nimble portals, city uh, central office-wide, that can be that entryway for employers so that then we can direct them for opportunities that might be citywide, but opportunities that they might be if, you know, if your business is in Queens, that you work with York or Queens College or LaGuardia, if you're in Staten Island, you do with with College Staten Island. So you can address us in two ways. Uh, that's very helpful. And I could spend all day on this, but if you could quickly just delve into a little of the specifics. You talked about, you know, four associates degrees and a number of micro-credentialing. Could you just give a couple of examples to get our minds around because the economy changes, the needs changes, skills change, you're doing a number of specifics. If you could just give us a couple of specifics so people really understand what that is. So so in the so the the in the applied associates degree are degrees that, that are supposed to have a much more sort of technical application and and the students are not necessarily thinking about going for a four-year degree. That's a little bit of a way of thinking in the past because you live life, you need lifelong learning no matter what. So the idea of a terminal degree these days, I think is a thing of the past. But what we're trying to do is that those programs, we're trying to connect them with specific needs in the, um, in the, in the economy. Um, and uh, there is some data science, right, uh, that is it's in demand. There are uh, marketing and, and online uh, programs that we need to, uh, uh, to, to upgrade. So those four programs, and, and this was the ones that, for example, we were working with the CEO council, the HR directors from the companies that make up the council uh, went through a process and identified areas in which they were going to be hiring in the next couple of years. And based on those areas, we went back and we created curriculum and programs for those areas specifically, right? And uh, so we're hoping that it becomes a pipeline of employment for our students with the most updated curriculum. And uh, in this case, you know, we're dealing with uh, with data, with cybersecurity, uh, with it, with uh, categories in in health. But we need to do that in a broad way. I mean, we can think about this in every sector of the economy. In um, uh, in in New York, we're also hoping uh, to work with folks in the hospitality and retail industries, which have been so decimated uh, in our city, and where many of our students uh, had employment uh, before the pandemic, right, and 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 are now suffering because they've been unemployed. To find ways to help them as they rehire uh, workers back, what kinds of new skills they might need, uh, and how can we be a partner to those industries as they as they rehire back and rehire back um, um, in, um, in, an equitable, in an equitable way. So, um, well, I think it sounds wonderful. I will say as a, as a research uh, organization and one of the underappreciated parts of CUNY is you have 30,000 graduate students and you are a research organization. So I can only urge you to evaluate everything you're doing so that you can refine it continuously um, look, look at those findings, use those findings. You have both the opportunity to create research for yourself and learn from your own research. And I'll just urge you to do that. And actually, Andrew, thank you for that because with the, with the Applied Associates degree is exactly what we're doing. Uh, we have a number of programs that were created based on demand that was real 30 years ago, but then the program continues to be alive Right, even though there's not that much demand. So, uh, since we actually have uh, incredible new leadership, uh, five of the presidents in our seven community colleges are just brand new. I said to you all, first, uh, we need to reinvent yourselves. And one way to do that is to take an inventory, do away with the dead wood of programs that you know no longer are producing results are not connected and then bring this new generation of programs based on direct conversations and consultations with uh with industry and revamp and upscale the ones that are doing well in terms of demand from the employer so we are using data um on this particular area specifically because there's one area 
that um, we have not been, our, our community colleges have been uh, more oriented to transfer, to be a pipeline to the four-year schools. We want to keep that, but there's an entire sector uh, of applied programs that at this time of the economy, we need for the city and we need to be able to respond. And we're meeting the, that challenge head on using data and tossing aside the things that have not been affected. I, th I think that's um, exactly right. Thank you. Because I also think centrally, I mean, each institution often grows on its own and centrally you have the opportunity and, and listen, higher education, healthcare, there are lots of the city government, lots of decentralized institutions replicate themselves. So you have that opportunity to be more efficient. But of course, it takes leadership at the top because the natural tendency is everyone want, thinks they can do it best and wants to do their, their own. So let's um, switch to the finances, if we could, for a second before um, taking questions. And I remind people they can use the QA function um, on, on the finances. You know, we've had a federal stimulus. We have a state budget. Now we have a city budget. There's a lot of things happening, a lot of money. Let's talk about the capital plan because we started a little. I jumped ahead of ourselves in the, in the stadium and um, piece, but you've received state capital funds and others. And you also have significant real estate holdings around the city. What are your plans on the capital front and with your real estate? Well, uh, thank you for that question. So first, there's no better dollar than a capital dollar invested in CUNY. Our buildings uh, take a pounding like few buildings in, in the entire city. Uh, they're used 24-7 for classroom use, for laboratories, for all of that. In the process of doing that, you're generating construction jobs, right? So capital dollars, you know, have a double impact on the economy. But once our students leave, where do you have voting? Where do you have all the community town meetings in our CUNY campuses, right? Uh, where do other community groups come to use space? We also teach uh, some uh, high school students in our in our schools. So the, the investment you get from the buildings that are either renovated or built at CUNY in terms of capital dollars is probably the highest return on investment. And you can crunch the numbers and, and tell me a year from now that I was being hyperbolic, but it's a great investment. But we're also trying to be thoughtful about that footprint. And we actually right now doing an inventory of all our real estate assets and then identifying the ones that um, uh, are the best candidates for smart leverage. We want to be able to do public partner partnerships uh, with institutions that are consistent with our mission, right? It's not about building a casino in, 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 the, in the campus at Queens, right? We want to be making investments that are consistent with our mission. We're not going to sell any of our assets. We want to really leverage them in the way that we did with the stadium at York. Excellent example. So we are very much in the next couple of years, you're going to be seeing a lot of RFPs from us going to developers, to others, to think about ways in which we can uh, improve our own educational infrastructure, but then also partner with the city in creative ways, in ways that bring additional dollars to our operating uh, um, uh, budget and, and relieve some of the pressure from the city and the state in terms of, of, um, of supporting us and actually giving us a little bit of cushion for difficult fiscal times by generating some of this uh, fiscal opportunities based on our real estate. So there's going to be a lot of that coming. It's one of the things that my board asked me to take a look when I came uh, in, and we are deep in that process right now. Fantastic. And, and I'm not sure if you could just help us. Is that a rolling process or is there kind of, you finish the assessment and then there's uh, some kind of big um, report that says, here's what our plan is. I'm just trying to understand so that we can all so, know so what to look for when. So we're doing the inventory and we're also working uh, with a team to then decide what are the best opportunities based uh, on the market. Uh, this requires, you know, I want to get ahead of my board. This requires consultation with, with Bill and the other colleagues about what are the, the opportunities that that, that makes sense. Uh, but, but, you know, before you can move ahead, you need to have a good sense of what the assets are and what are the possibilities. And, and uh, But it is something that we're going to prioritize because we think that there's a lot of great opportunities there um, uh, in terms of projects and then also in monetizing them. And if you, you know, I'm sure you're getting lots of great input from, you know, the private and nonprofit and public sector around, um, if you ever need uh, 
input. I'm sure our trustees have plenty of ideas. So you can just let us know if we can ever be helpful in that endeavor because you do have a great opportunity here. Um, so on the operating side of your budget, you know, I added up, um, and I'm not sure I'm exactly right, between the, the, the federal and the, the state government in terms of you know various um, stimulus funds going to you and the students and, and, and different initiatives. It might total on the operating side, a billion and a half dollars. Could be some capital in there, so I'm not sure if I'm mixing and matching, but there's a, a lot of money coming in. How does that affect your um, operating budget, your stability, for what period of time? How are you using this money? Because you had to make some cuts and you did get rid of adjuncts along the way. So, so a couple of things. First, whatever number people see out there, divide it in half because half of that money goes directly to students and, and it goes directly to students. We cannot be cute and say, can you please use these dollars for your tuition and, and get it. So the law clearly says that there's a check that goes to the students. If the student wants to use it to pay for the tuition or any cost, it's their choice, right? And we've been nimble at, at doing that. The second round of stimulus money uh, is about to hit and, and go out to our students. And that's about $118 million in direct aid to um, uh, to our students. The third component, uh, so people also understand, the Biden stimulus, that money has not been released yet and the actual formula has not been finalized yet. So people who are counting on that, uh, I let them know that first, the counting is not done and B, uh, the money is not in the bank, right? So, um, but again, whatever number you get, half goes directly to the students because some people are thinking that we are flush right. in, in money. The losses that we face from COVID are very real. Losses in revenue, losses in uh, costs that we had to do in, in cleaning, maintenance, PPE, uh, some of those things too. So there's a, a decent size of that money that's going to go to cover those costs that we um, that that we face. And I like to remind people about about that too. Um, so what we're hoping to do, because and you would love that I say this, I remind everybody that those are not recurrent dollars, right? Thank you. Thank so you. So what, what what we're trying to do is pay our, our bills on the things that were caused that were not programmed for, uh, that were quite substantial uh, uh, for us, uh, and then uh, use that for, and you were preparing the budget for the next year, so we're thinking about how we're going to do that smartly, but then use some of those dollars as investments. For example, uh, continue to build the infrastructure to do uh, more online and hybrid to your point originally about being nimble and preparing ourselves for the educational modalities of the future. So let's use some of that money consistent with the guidelines for some of those things, uh, which is both meeting a present need and a future need that, um, uh, that, that we have. So we're trying to be thoughtful about, about those things. We are very proud that even with the fiscal challenges we face, and you're reading stories about colleges all over New York State laying off full-time faculty and staff, we never did that. Uh, we had um, um, some adjuncts which you know are, are higher based on the the teaching needs, and you know we lost enrollment in some areas, so we were bound to lose some adjuncts based uh, on uh, on that. Uh, and we hope to recapture some of them as the Roman sort of comes back and we have uh, the funding. But I'm very proud that in this very, very difficult time, uh, when you look around higher ed all over the state and the country where there were layoffs and um, I mean, the only furloughs that we did was to the executive team. Uh, and and uh, so I think we, we weathered the, the fiscal storm uh, uh, thoughtfully. We want to pay our bills. We want to invest in some things that are going to allow us to build for the future. Uh, and I want to remind everybody that also that money goes away fast uh, and we need to be thoughtful. Um, and uh, and we, are, we are approaching the uh, some of our partners, for example, with some of the funding that's going to the DOE and other agencies to invest in workforce programs, to in working programs that recapture some of the learning loss by DOE students and our students. So that's, I think, a smart way to use uh, some of these one-shot uh, funds and, um, and to do the upskilling and to get folks ready to come back to the economy 
uh, when the jobs are there. Fantastic. Um, and I remind people about the QA function, although I have some that were sent ahead of time, but I have one that bridges here, which is, uh, you know, the mayor um, released his budget. We're all coming through the other day. Can you tell us the status of the ASAP program? Tell people a little about it and what the status is and what the, whether those funds were restored? Uh, so um, on, on ASAP, ASAP, for those who might not be familiar, is, is an award-winning uh, uh, program at, at CUNY that has more than double the graduation rates in our community colleges. Got an award uh, from the Kennedy School of Government for Innovation last year. Very, very proud of what we have accomplished there. And um, and it, it's 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 been going on now for about a decade. And um, the the funding at the state level was uh, uh, was kept in in the budget. Uh, the the mayor's original budget had uh, a ten million dollar cut, um, and uh, we were able to lobby and keep it. It didn't make it to the book on time. So if you go to the budget book, uh, it would show as, as a cut. But uh, we had a, a conversation with the mayor's team and made a case uh, for that. And there's a commitment that the funds for ASAP will be restored. In our case, going back to you guys, your budget people, my argument was you're hitting a marquee program. So you're actually hitting my bottom line twice. You're taking 10 million that allows me to recruit less students for a program that attracts students, right? That will generate enrollment that are graduating at a higher rate. So they're gonna to continue to be enrolled, right? So you're taking 10 million plus potential enrollment twice. And, uh, and luckily um, they, um, they were supported, but we still have uh, about a $67 million cut uh, on the city side, and we hope to engage our friends in the city council uh, going forward. That is about a 12% cut on the entire budget of the community colleges, uh, which have been hit twice. We have budget cuts before, and the loss of enrollment has also hurt their bottom line. So at this time, when the community colleges are your most effective frontline uh, allies in the recovery, is not the time to uh, to be reducing the funding uh, on the city side. On the state side, we're very lucky that they kept the funding formula based on the year prior, so the enrollment doesn't hit us as a way to support the community colleges. So we're going to need a lot of support in 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 getting some of that funding for the community college back, but ASAP. Uh, I can give a preview. You heard it here first. Uh, uh, thanks to uh, the mayor and, and, and his team, uh, that funding was restored. Okay, wonderful to hear. We um, will switch to questions. I have some here, but someone just submitted and I'll read this live. What are the biggest challenges and barriers for career services and programs like micro-credentialing to reach and engage CUNY's hardest to serve students. So you're doing this work, but they're obviously, it's hard to access, they're hard to serve students. What are the biggest barriers and challenges? How do you meet those? Well, I mean, I, the, the, you know, partnering is beautiful and important, but it's hard work, right? And uh, for the micro-credentials, for all those curricular reforms to occur, you need to have engagement between the employers and the campuses and our faculty. Right. One of the things that we're doing is we're trying to find ways to support our faculty so they have ongoing conversations with industry uh, in a more sustained way, because uh, that's really the way in which you and I don't have this conversation every 10 years. Right. It becomes embedded in the DNA of, uh, of the institution. And that occurs in some programs. Uh, but what we want is really to elevate all programs. We don't want to be uneven in our offering for the, for the students. So those conversations are ongoing with many sectors in, uh, in industry. One of the things that we're doing too is, and this is the advantage of the system and our scale. If I have one conversation with one set of employers, I can take that curriculum and then make it available to as many of my campuses as we feel there's demand for, right? We don't need to have seven conversations about curriculum in the account, we can use the one that we learn about and then it can be replicated. And depending on demand, you can decide whether it's something that requires to be just in one campus or in three or four, right? Based on, on demand and, and, and geography. So we're having those conversations now. And, um, and the career um, 
uh, centers, they, they, they need to uh, be engaging the students since the beginning. And I'll give you one example. In some of the community colleges, because they were transfer-oriented, in many cases, they were not investing as much on that because the thought was that Andrew was going to graduate and then he would connect with the career center in the four-year college he went to, right? With that notion that you went to career services junior and senior year. We're trying to let the students know since the first time they step on campus that they need to be thinking about that from day one. They need to be exploring opportunities, right? Uh, if they're clear about what they want to do, take an internship, participate, get some, you know, some social networks. If you're not too sure, all the more reason for you to be exploring things out there. But that needs to occur uh, a lot quicker. And we need to have everybody in the university ecosystem letting the student know that that's an important thing uh, to do. I have my oldest is a freshman in college and I'm preaching that to you. And I'm still having text conversations with him about have you been to the, to the even if it's virtually, to the career center in, in university. You need to begin to think about those opportunities from, uh, from the get-go to maximize your, um, your competitiveness as you move forward. So we are trying to do that in all our campuses uh, and, and to create courses and opportunities that remind you and connect you from day one to that engagement about thinking about a career down the line. Fantastic. Uh, one fu and future conversation. I'm looking forward to talking to you about your theories of managing large decentralized organizations because it's one of the challenges. But but for now, um, we have a question. Despite the increases in the city's high school graduation rate, a large number of incoming your incoming students require remedial instruction in at least one subjects. At least one subject. Can, what can the city do more to improve college readiness of its high school graduates? <laughs> It's been a, oh, a vexing so, issue for years. And I, I will say the graduation rates have gone up since I was, you know, working with uh, Bill Thompson uh, at the board. of They keep going up, although I'm not sure how much better people are ready, how much the students are ready for college. So can you speak to that readiness and what you can do better? And they yes. can do better. So uh, first, I think, and it's one of the things that I've been um, conveying to our our. Uh, abundant group of mayoral hopefuls, right? That the uniqueness of New York having one centralized Department of Education and one really centralized university that, that you know, receives most of the students, 60% of our students from the DOE, is a unique policy opportunity. One proposal that we had uh, in front uh, of, of the DOE right now is we have a proficiency index which we use to let a student know whether we think they're college ready or not. Mm -hmm. We can use that formula going back to the end of the sophomore year. So we would love to be able to, when you became a junior, to send some kind of communication to you that said, you know, we have a seat for you at the City University of New York, right? Based on where you are, here's some of the steps you need to take, right? So that you can take advantage of more opportunities in the system so that, you know, there's no need to be taking uh, remedial courses when you get to us because some of that can get done junior or senior year. The seat time's already paid for, mm -hmm. if you're thinking from a budgetary perspective, right? So we are trying to work with the city deeper to make that connection. And we, we have a proposal of what we call a college and career scorecard to send to the students either at the end of sophomore year or the beginning of junior year to begin to, to lay that roadmap for, um, uh, for the students. Uh, by the end of 2020, there'll be no remedial courses at CUNY. We have been moving to a model which is co-curricular, which is uh, where the state of the literature has us, in which the students are taking uh, courses that earn credit as opposed to the remedial ones that do not since the beginning. Right? And you do it jointly, you do it with more support. The data shows that the students do better, continue to advance, is less costly for everyone across the term. But by the end of 2022, we've been moving, there'd be no remedial courses at CUNY. We'll be using a co-curricular model, which is the state of the literature. And what we're doing, Andrew, is that we're beginning to use that co-curricular model in our uh, college now and the courses that we teach already for the DOE students before they come, right? So we're trying to take advantage of all those opportunities, that integration that we have 
we need to use it more in a, in a more sophisticated way uh, to be able to a it is an added cost to the city. I mean, you're paying twice for instruction, but also the human time wasted in the student, the financial aid wasted in the student. So we're being very, very aggressive. Like I said, we're very proud of this conversion that that will do, and we kept pace even with the pandemic to make that change. But we continue also the conversations with the DOE about what kinds of joint programming we can do in senior year, in junior year, to be able to have students exposed to more things and be even more college ready. Thank you. You know, it sounds interesting. The budget guy in me says, where do I find the efficiency as well as the, the investment costs, as you say, in the double education? But um, I'm sure you'll be working out uh, well, but, with but, all, but, all the people. Uh, but but, but to my point, if 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 the seat time for you yeah. in, in K-12 is paid for, right? Yeah. So if, if I direct you to programs that are, are known to be able to address potential remedial needs then, right? It's, it's paid for, it's covered, right? You're not paying for it when you come to the college side. So I think that it's, it's, it's like I said, it's a budget win for the city, uh, but even more important is, 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 a, is a human victory for that student that is able to go feeling fully college ready uh, and 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 advance more quickly and graduate on time and do all of that. You know, we have kids the same age. I, I, you know, having that vision of a future that seems reasonable, attainable, and 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 useful is 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 one of the key components. Um, we have a question. Given that you had to cut faculty and staff during the pandemic, how do you envision what the right staffing levels are going forward to ensure the student needs are met? Well, so, so again, there were no, uh, we had a high freeze. We were hiring faculty and staff, not at the same rates as in the past, but we didn't cut any full-time faculty and staff. I just want to make sure that, that the record shows that the, the, uh, the, we didn't reappoint a group of adjuncts, which happens every year based on uh, mostly demand in terms of, of their courses. So, um, one of the things that's going to be interesting is normally on the community. So the so the people think enrollment is has been fairly uh, flat in the four year colleges. Uh, enrollment has gone up in the graduate programs. Enrollment has gone down in the community colleges. It's a nationwide phenomena, and it's part of oh, now a four or five year cycle for us. So where we're doing some of the doubling down about that match between students and faculty is at the community college side. Normally in a recession, community college enrollment grows, right? So this is the first time that that, that relationship has not happened there. We think that it's because of the impact of the pandemic in New York that was twice as brutal. That's gonna take some time uh, to, uh, to, to recover. So this is a great time to be thinking about what are the right kinds of programs that, that, that we need to have so when that wave of students comes to us, um, we're able to have the courses for them, but also the courses in programs that are going to lead either to transfer and to continued growth or to immediate placement in, in, in jobs. Excellent. And we have time for one more question, if that's okay. Um, there's been a lot of increasing focus on student economic mobility, equity, and outcomes. How much of the attention has been on um, historically black college and colleges and universities and other minority serving institutions? How is CUNY positioning itself given the relatively high number of at-risk students it also serves? So there's been a mo movement in this way nationally, but not necessarily thinking of like a public urban university. Um, how do you position yourself in that conversation? Well, so, I mean, a number of things, right? We have been um, in, in some of our campuses, for example, that that um, you think about Mega Rivers, right? For example, that that sort of resembles uh, a historically black black college in, in history and composition. We've been making some investments there, um, and we have a new president coming in May first. The first female president, Dr. Ramsey. We're very very proud of that um, of that of that appointment. Uh, a conversation, for example, in um, uh, some trailers that were there and not the best. Uh, facilities for our students that have been going on since 2005. I'm very proud that our team worked with the DOE and now we're going to get rid of the trailers and we're going to build, you know, state-of-the-art classrooms for those students there. So signifying the commitment 
to our students across the across the system. Uh, one thing is if you look at the data, some of the students that did not show up and some of the students that we have lost have been in larger numbers, African-American and Latino students and mostly males. So we've been, for example, in our marketing, in our outreach efforts, double down in the spaces where we can bring some of those students back and thinking about programming at CUNY and then jointly with the DOE to be able to sort of recapture those students and bring them and bring them back because there's some of the um, uh, some of the stories about how the pandemic has hit different groups in a disproportionate way, and we're seeing it in the data of the students uh, that. Uh, um, have not been coming in that normally would have been. So we're paying close attention to that because uh, we don't we don't want to make sure. I mean, we're the door of opportunity. We need to go find them. Uh, we created a college bridge program in which we paid, going back to my theme of paid internships, our students to mentor DOE students over the summer to take get rid of the summer melt so that you do come from graduation to beginning in college. It is a win-win for for the incoming students and for our students. So we're doing a lot more of that and we hope to take advantage of some of the stimulus money uh, for some programming in that area too. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. I, we could talk all day about these things. We have a list of questions. I might send you a couple follow-ups. I'll be, I'll be, de- I'll be delighted and happy happy to uh, uh, to do that. And it's, I mean, a forum like this, Andrew, we want homework. In this recovery, we are an indispensable ally to the city. I want homework. I want the ideas from your members, from your organizations about how CUNY can play a role. We are here to serve the city. We want to do it. This is the time. This is the moment. And we are ready for the challenge. Well, thank you. I mean, I appreciate your time. There are a number of um, challenges you talked about culturally changing the community college to focus not just on transfer, but, you know, skill building, curricula, modalities partnerships and, and, and making sure that they're spread throughout the institution and not just in pockets. You have a lot of challenges, but it's a great time for opportunities and a great time that many New Yorkers and many New York institutions and businesses are looking for the future. What should be done? What can be different? That is a wonderful opportunity. So we really thank you for joining us today in this uh, um, in this conversation, and we look forward to it continuing in other venues. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the great work that you guys do. Thank you, Chancellor. Chancellor uh, Felix Matos Rodriguez. And thank you to all of you who joined us today. We really appreciate your time and your engagement. We'd love to hear from you and we'll send along questions. And hopefully we'll see some of you or all of you at the um, uh, Controllers Forum next Tuesday from four to six, critical race, which hasn't gotten enough attention, but hopefully we can provide the opportunity for you to learn about um, the, many of the leading candidates in that forum. So thank you all, have a great day. Thank you.